At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Thanks for being here today, guys. We're excited to see you and just be together. Um, It kind of feels like old school Woodside Detroit in here right now. Um, That was a long time ago, eight years or so. Um, I just remember, I remember being down here with like 40 people, so probably a little bit smaller than this room right now. Um, And just to see what's happened in the last eight years is incredible. So we praise God for it. Um, But yeah, we are glad to be here most definitely. Last night we were just in here setting up, and um, we got talking uh, to, to one of the workers, um, one of our connects here in the building, and she was just sharing with us that it's been a really, really rough last few months, um, of course, but for her specifically, um, just with everything that's been going on here, this is a venue, um, but also personally, she was just sharing that um, she lost her brother. Uh, uh, a few months ago, and it was one of those unique scenarios where um, she couldn't she couldn't go into the hospital to see him. Um, she wasn't really allowed in even after she had to to go to the morgue of all places to identify him. Um, and it really broke my heart um, just just hearing just hearing her talk about that. Um, and then I was I was talking to one of our coworkers here, and um, found out that a buddy of mine, his grandfather, just passed away, and it got me thinking about my own grandparents and, um, and how lucky I am to have two grandparents alive still. Um, and then, you know, it's the, it's the little things, but even last night, you know, I'm a big sports guy and um, one, of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite guys on the radio announced like three days ago that he was dealing with, uh, with colon cancer for the last like 19 months and nobody really knew. He kept it really, really private. Um, and he, he just announced this like three days ago. Um, and then I got word last night that he also passed away just last evening. And um, I don't know, I just, I feel this burden, this empathetic burden on my heart um, for you. Like, I don't know what you've dealt with personally in the last four or five months. I know what some of you have dealt with personally in the last four or five months, but not all of you. And um, we just need to know that like, this is a place that you can just come and you can be and you can bring those burdens and you can bring those, those sorrows and you can bring those tears. Uh, maybe you lost somebody really close to you. Maybe you lost somebody that's connected to you. Maybe, maybe you actually haven't lost anybody um, in a sense. Um, but I just think that the Lord calls us into this, this empathetic place for the people around us. And, and that's the beauty of, of why we're here today. Um, that's the beauty of why we're together in community as a church and a body of believers, that we can walk through life together. Um, we can carry each other's burdens. Um, so I just wanted to say that to you. I don't know if that, that hits any of you today. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know where you are today, um, but I just want you to know that we love you and that we're here for you and with you in whatever it is that you are walking through, um, for sure. But <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we are in a unique season, right, to say the least. Um, 
It's been a wild last few months, and I, I don't know, I think that you would think that um, with months of, of shutdown, and I, I say that, you know, in quotation, because um, for some, shutdown means you lost a job, or, or your family has really been struggling, yet for others, shutdown means, um, for me, like, church on Sunday has been so different, right? Like, for the first time in, in literally eight years, um, I haven't had to be in an actual church building or a service. Um, which means that I had the freedom, um, like what I'm experiencing the, the most of people have, is I could go away on the weekends. Like I got to actually experience a little bit of like Michigan summer for the first time in a long time. Um, but you'd think that with months of shutdown, it might seem like an opportunity for, for rest, um, but it's really quite the opposite. Like more than anything, I see and I sense and I feel like this current, right? This current of, of tension and it's moving us in all directions. Maybe you can relate to that. Financial tension, political tension, media tension, relational tension, racial tension, spiritual tension, just to name a few. Like we find ourselves in this very specific but rare moment where all of these roads, mind you, tensions and issues that no doubt have existed long before today, but where all of these roads are seemingly leading and spilling out to the same spot at the exact same time. Like a bunch of rivers or, or tributaries all flowing into the same body of water except together these waters are, are choppy. Like these waters are rough, they feel a little bit more unchartered than perhaps our memory can serve. And when we find ourselves, when you find yourself in uncharted water, usually what happens? Questions begin to arise. When will we be back to normal? Normal, what is normal? Do we want to go back? Is this it for us? How do we even go forward? What about us? What about the church? What about church in general? How do we respond, especially as believers or those of us who, who claim Jesus as Lord? Where do we turn in times of tension? Honestly, I think it's a, it's a loaded question, most definitely, with endless answers and opportunities for good. Like, what does the church turn in times of tension? We could spend a lot of time trying to, to answer that question. But I think the first thing that we need to do is establish a base or a place or, or a position from which all of our responses as believers flow. And I believe that that base is and needs to be worship. Every day, worship. Every season, worship. Every tension, worship. Right, last weekend, if you were here, you had the opportunity to, to listen, Pastor Chris brought this incredible word on repentance and confession from Psalm chapter 51. And today we're turning our attention to another of David's writings, Psalm 145, to help us answer and attack these three important questions as we navigate life as we know it together. Three important questions. What happens when we worship? Why is God to be worshiped? And how then do we worship? 
So what happens when we worship? Short answer, short answer, our perspective shifts. I don't know if you felt it at all this morning. I do think personally there is a difference between worshiping in my car and worshiping with people. I just like, I like being with people. I like singing together. I like listening to all of you. There is a difference. There absolutely is a perspective shift Short answer, when we worship, but but longer answer, I want us to notice the first few verses of Psalm 145. It says, David writes, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. It's just like that song that that Chelsea was just leading us in, guys. Simply put, when we recognize who God is, our response is worship. Worship, it, 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 it centers our focus, it diverts our attention from ourselves for a change, and it shifts our perspective and gives and brings hope. How many of us need a, a perspective shift this morning? How many of us in this place need more hope? See, one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Bible centers around Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. We find these two guys, right? These two dudes, they're out doing ministry in this Roman colony called Philippi. And they come across this slave girl. The Bible says that she is a, a slave girl And it says that she was possessed by a spirit of of divination, and it brought her owners much financial gain because they used her to tell fortunes. So this girl, right, this girl starts following Paul and Silas, and the Bible says that she was yelling out, she was crying out about who they were and what they were up to. And finally, after days, I had to like go back and reread this because it's so specific and it's also kind of funny. It says that after days, the Bible says that Paul got greatly annoyed. Okay? So there's this girl, and she's following these two guys along as they're doing ministry, and she's crying out, this is who they are, this is what they're doing, and after days, the Bible says that Paul became greatly annoyed, he turns to the girl, and he casts out the spirit. I mean, what? Like, how many of y'all parents taking notes right now? Awesome, right? What a move of God in that moment, right? Except now you've got these people, right? These angry people because their source of income is gone. So in the midst of of God doing something miraculous, there are these people, while yes, in the wrong, but their income, their source of income in life is gone. And it says that they dragged Paul and Silas off to the authority. They were attacked, they were stripped of their clothes, they were beaten, and they were tossed into prison. I mean, if you're, if you're Paul and Silas, like, it's kind of blows, right? Like, you're in the midst of doing ministry for the Lord, and now you find yourself in prison. And I'm sitting here last night thinking to myself, like, I'm out here doing your work, Lord, and this is the thanks I get? Warranted, maybe, but not these guys. 
pick it up in, in verse 25 in Acts chapter 16, it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That is not the way that I would think the story goes. <laughs> About midnight, Paul and Silas were, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All right, I'll go to the, there we go. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You see, it's important to know that this, that this jailer, his sole responsibility in that moment were these prisoners. And he wakes up, and he sees that the, that the, the gates are open, so that he pulls his sword. Where are we? But Paul cried aloud, voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They witnessed, they evangelized to this jailer and to all who were in his house. And the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. I mean, come on, right? Like, that's a story right there. But what I love is that Paul and Silas, they didn't allow their circumstances, right, prison, being beaten, stripped of their clothes, to hinder their worship. Guys, it wasn't conditional for them. Let that sink in. It wasn't conditional for them. It is really annoying to have to sit in a hot room with a mask over your face, while you're singing especially. But I would much rather choose this than what they went through. It wasn't conditional for them. Rather, they pressed in to the Lord in the midst of their circumstances, and it not only shifted their outlook, right, but it quite literally shifted their circumstances. And that's what happens when we worship. It shifts our perspective, it fills us with hope, and it establishes God as greater than our circumstances, both good and bad. Like this, this specific story, it, it, it focuses on the negative, on the bad, and how it was incredible that these men were able to worship God in the midst of these unfortunate circumstances. But what about when life is good? I think about the, the story of, of like the rich young ruler, and this guy has everything, and he comes up to Jesus, right, and he's like, hey, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says to him, like, drop everything and come and follow me. And he's like, no, man, my life is too good, I can't do that. See, I think that we tend to think about worship in these negative contexts. 
But worship establishes God is greater than our circumstances in the good and the bad. David needed that. Paul and Silas needed that. We, I, need that perspective shift. See, worship, it testifies to, to who God is and what he's done. It helps to align our hearts with his word, and it opens us up to receive and hear from Holy Spirit. You feeling selfish? Worship. You feeling tempted? Worship. You feeling triggered? Worship. Are things going great in your life? You better double down in worship because we know what life is like. You see, I think the enemy knows how valuable praise, I think the enemy knows and understands and believes how valuable worship is to a disciple, which is exactly why it's not always easy to step into it. It's not always easy to choose it. But if and when we can break through that wall, right, like the Kool-Aid man, like when we can break through that wall, there is power and there is freedom and there is breakthrough and it is waiting for you. Question, we know what happens when we praise, but why should it be God? Answer, because when one truly recognizes who God is. When the revelation of His love drops from your head to your heart and takes deep root, nothing else makes sense. Literally, nothing else makes sense. Look at what David and how he describes the Lord. In verse 1, he says, Our God is personal. David says that he is my God. Verse three, our God is great. No one and nothing compares to him. Verse four, our God is active. He is at work. Our God is glorious. Our God is righteous. Verse eight, our God is gracious and he is merciful and he is love. Verse 13, our God is everlasting. Verse 14, he says that our God lifts up the broken. Our God upholds the humble. Our God satisfies, our God is kind, verse 18, our God is near, our God is listening, our God saves. Verse 20, our God is a protector, he is just. Y'all, the reality of God leads his people to response, and David says, because of this, I will worship. David says, because of who God is, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. But that's just David's list. What might our list look like? You think for one second that these characteristics in 21 verses adequately describe who God is? That's just the, the revelation that we are invited into from one person, but what would, what would your list look like? I was reminded this week of um, a journal entry that I kind of put in to my journal uh, eight years ago. It was in this season of life, and I was living in Columbus, and um, I was becoming a disciple of the Lord, I feel like, for the very first time, right? Like, I knew who God was, and 
and I knew about him, and I, I grew up with him, um, and I believed in him, but, but this was different. This was, this was Pat becoming a disciple of Jesus. And I feel like the Holy Spirit reminded me of this list that I started to create on December 29th, 2011. God cannot be obtained or contained in this world. God cannot be explained by our vocabulary. God cannot be grasped by my understanding. God is worthy to be feared. God is the greatest thing that I can experience in this whole world. God is so good to me. God protects me. God is real. God loves me not for what I've done or who I will become. God offers me perfect freedom through the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. I mean, look at, look at his life, right? Jesus, our example in the wilderness that every healing and every season as he took up his cross and with his final breath, his life was ever-present praise. His life was ever-present worship. In John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. When's the last time we said that? Today, God, as I go into work, would you glorify me so that you can have the glory? How often is it, today, God, as I go into work, glorify me in front of my boss, in front of my coworker. Glorify me, God, so I can get the promotion, so I can get this, so I can get that, so I can have that, and then I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit more money, Lord. Then I'll give you a little bit more time, Lord. Once my family is established, God, then we'll start to serve at church. You see, one thing that Jesus was great at, amongst everything, was answering questions with a question. So why worship God? To that I say, who else? Who or, or what could compare? Look at what John writes in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. I think we have it, but maybe not. It's all good. Let me turn to it. Here we go. He says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and they worshiped. We know what happens and, and why God, but how? How then do we worship God? And I think that, that one of the first things that we have to know is that worship is not just singing. 
We try to do a, 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 a real intentional job here at Woodside Detroit to usher in the reality that worship is not just music. Worship is you being here. Worship is our giving. Worship is our serving. It's about ministering to God's heart, this expression of reverence and adoration. It's about turning our affections towards Him. It's about blessing Him. Verse 1 tells us to bless God's name forever and ever, and verse 2 says the same, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. To bless and to, to minister to God's heart is to give Him our time, our attention, our adoration, our prayers, our praise, our acknowledgement. It's about pausing to tell Him that He's great instead of just telling Him what we want from Him, what we need from Him, what we would like from Him. To minister to His heart is to turn our gaze towards Him. To minister to His heart is to tend to His heart, to care about His heart. I like to think of worship sometimes as like diffusing heaven back to God. I have a diffuser, I have two diffusers at home actually. I just like the way that they smell. I think that they do, they do some stuff for my allergies at night, but like I just love to just, I like drop way more oil than I'm supposed to into the diffuser. Like right now I love the orange, it just smells like so, it like makes my apartment smell way cleaner than it probably is. But I like to think sometimes like, man, Lord, like I just want to diffuse heaven back to you. Like I just want my worship, I want my life, my actions, my thoughts, my words, my choices. I want those things to be like, like a bunch of different oils in this diffuser, just like lofting up to you. Like I can just sit in front of my diffuser with the peppermint and all the other stuff that, that I've been given. I just dump them all in and it just smells so good. I could just sit there, I could lay on my bed and I can just like let the oil, let the, let the diffusing just permeate around me. And like that's what it's like for the Lord, I think. It's what he wants us to do. He just wants it. He just wants us to be with him. He wants us to acknowledge him. He's a real person just like you. He's got feelings. He has a heart. Tend to those feelings, tend to that heart. We worship him by blessing his name. We also worship him through meditation and prayer. Look at verse five. David says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. It means we ruminate and we ponder and we contemplate and we reflect, we absorb God like a sponge and then we reinforce his truths daily. And finally, we worship him by sharing it with others. Verse 11 says, they, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. We tell our friends and our family and our coworkers and the next generation I see the Byers family in the balcony. I see those three kids. 
and it makes my heart so happy that they know Jesus. But who are you gonna tell? I think we've had like 11 children that I can even just remotely count born in the last like four or five months. Who's gonna tell them? Who are they gonna tell? We share of how God came through for us, of his presence and his consistency in our life. We pass down the story of his kindness and his grace that one day, like David says in verse 21, all people will sing his praises. One of the things that I love and that's really challenged me the most in Psalm 145 is that in this entire passage, David never asks for anything, nor does he confess anything. He simply reflects on God and then responds with praise. How beautiful an example, yet how powerful a challenge. Like, no doubt we are living in tension. There's no doubt that we're living in tension. But can we, can we double down and say yes to worship? Can we double down and say yes to the quiet place at the center of our life? And then can we attack that tension with the full force of heaven behind it? With the full force of heaven leading the charge. I was talking with Kristen in the back and I was just saying like, Kristen, there's so much tension, there's so much unrest in the church and culture. This is who I am and I'm sticking to it. And this is who I am and I'm sticking to it. And I don't care what you say because I'm sticking to this. And that hurts me, that offends me. And it's like, well, that offends me. There's a lot of offense going around right now. But you'll be surprised how your outlook, your understanding, and maybe most importantly, your empathy grows and shifts and changes when living from a place of deep pursuit of the Lord first. What would it look like this week for us to go into those conversations of, this is who I am, sticking to it, but with the Lord leading that charge? Just because you walk over here and you put your arm around somebody and you say, tell me what you think, tell me why you believe that, tell me what you're experiencing, doesn't mean that's who you're gonna become. But can we at least be open enough to say, there might be something for me here, and there might be something for me here. If not anything, it's a brother and a sister in Christ. My prayer for you today, may the influence of worship and of the Holy Spirit influence the way that you navigate forward this week, how you respond to tension, and how you listen and love other people. God, 
to worship you, we live. We just wanna minister to your heart today, God. You're so worthy of all praise, of all adoration. We just wanna move your heart, God. God, we're such a selfish people. We think about ourselves all the time. And you're still so faithful and you're so patient with us. You're so patient with me. Thank you. But gosh, you're so worthy. You're so good. You're so incredible. You're so wonderful. You're so powerful. You're so magnificent. Your love has changed my life, God. How can I not just worship you? You are the only one, the only thing that I will bend my knee to. Only you can give me a new identity. Only you can say that I'm righteous and I'm clean. Only you can elevate me to the same level as your son, adopted into the family of God, an heir to the throne, a co-heir with Christ. I mean, come on. That's who we are in Christ. That is what he has given you. God, I know, I know, I know that the enemy, I know that he knows what we're up to in here, and I know that he's plotting and he's planning for this week, for this afternoon, anything he can do to build the wall between you and me, between you and him. Anything he can do, he will do. So be aware of it today. Be aware of it tonight. Be aware of it tomorrow. Be aware of it on a Thursday. Be aware of it when you think that you can do it on your own. Be weary of it when you're doing it on your own. You're worthy of our praise, God. We worship you today. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.